Hello and welcome to Ernie Ball's Striking a Chord podcast. In this episode, I speak with Matt Costa. Today I'm speaking with singer, songwriter, guitar player Matt Costa. Matt has a brand new album out called Yellow Coat. So we talk about the origin of that album and where he was personally, emotionally when he wrote the songs. We talk about the event, or mishap really, that basically rerouted his life and put him on the path to where he is today. Other topics include the role Tom Dumont from No Doubt played in Matt's musical career, the powerful effect of pairing music and images, touring insights, mermaids, and more. Ladies and gentlemen, Matt Costa. Matt Costa, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much for having me. All right. I first heard of you from a man named Scott Applegate, uh-huh. who claimed to be your cousin. Yeah, I don't, I've never met that person or heard of that person in my life. <laughs> <laughs> so this uh, person, uh, I remember him talking about his younger cousin, you know, started to play guitar, writing songs. And Tom Dumont from No Doubt it was recording him and pushing him. And, uh, you know, it was like one of these, you'll never believe what's happened to my cousin. So that's how I first heard of you. I mean, it's true. I mean, I've, I've known, Scott has known me since I was, since I was a tiny baby. And um, he was probably, he was probably startled too. Because I'd played guitar when I was young and played in the school band and stuff. But I was more interested in skateboarding and things. But... Yeah, like around 19 or so, I broke my leg and then I started sitting with an acoustic guitar a little more and I started writing songs. And then um, I knew Scott always played music and I would go, as a kid, I would go to his uh, his house and his roommates and they were always really good. He would play bass and he'd be shredding and his friend was a really good guitar player. And I never thought about becoming a musician as the thing. I liked it, but it seemed like it seemed like a whole other realm that wasn't even a possibility. Because you were really in the skateboarding world at that point, right? Yeah. And also, I, I mean, I didn't really know, I didn't know that much about bands and music and things. I just knew that I liked music and I liked records, but I had the music, whatever, business or industry or entertainment or anything like that just seemed like a really far-fetched thing. Yeah. And then when I did meet Tom Dumont, he had gotten a hold of some like four track demos. Well, it started because I was, I was recording on a little cassette player and this, a friend of mine was like, Hey, you should record on this four track. And then when I got the four track, then I realized, Oh, I can lay stuff over it, lay other guitar parts or lay harmonies and things. And that's when I felt like I was able to really start exploring songwriting or textures more. It was a nice tool. And then Tom got that. And then, you know, then we were off and running. It was like, within a, a year or two of making the, my first recordings, which is about, you know, 10 or 20 of them and about four of them I liked or something. Okay. So, uh, let's see. So you grew up in Southern California? I did. Yeah. Okay. I did grow up in Southern California for a while. I lived in Florida. Um, I lived there for like four or five years. Okay. Was this a, a skateboarding accident? You said you broke your leg or was it an arm? I broke my leg really bad. Yeah. And that was skateboarding? Yeah, I was going down like a ten stair, a ten stair ledge, which at the time was normal. I look back on it now and think that's crazy. But yeah, right. 
so that's really what was the impetus to you to sort of having a, a career change, not a career change, but a, a hobby change, I guess, at least at first. Yeah, it was, you know, I, I guess I never looked at skateboarding as a career. I just, it was a passion, you know, and then I had some uh, sponsors and things like that. But I was looking at it from like such a young mind, you know, people who are, when you're 16, someone who's 25 is ancient, you know? So I was like, man, if I could skate till I'm 25, Right. You know, that's the end of my life. <laughs> and so, yeah, then I started playing music and it was, it was really just something to, uh, to put myself into during recovery because I was laid up for two years or so. Oh man. Okay. How did the stair accident happen? Did you, did your foot slip off the board? Yeah, it, well, it was, uh, it was kind of a sketchy spot. I was, it was in front of, uh, in front of this high school in the city of industry and there was a 10 stair ledge to my left. I'm regular footed. So it was, um, it was backside and, uh, it was like, it was on a gradient. So then like, um, I didn't really have that much control of my speed. And then right when you like, when I'd pop on the top of the stairs, there was a little lip right there. So everything made me feel a little bit uncomfortable with mm. controlling it. But I, you know, I was skating and I, I did like a nose slide and then I tried like a this is getting technical, you know, but I try like, no, I like it. Nose yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I tried a 180 nose grind and then I was like, Oh, I just want to try a crooked grind on it. And that's where your front truck, it's kind of like a nose grind, but it's at an angle. So it's crooked. Right. And it was backside. So it's common trick. So I, I was trying crooked grind. And then when I came off of the, um, the ledge, it was pretty steep. And I guess, um, the board, you know, didn't level out. It landed primo. And then um, that's where it's on its side. And then oh. my ankle, uh, uh. my ankle just rolled off the front. And I laid on the ground there. It happened so fast. And as I was laying down there, I was like, "Ow!" Every time you fall, you know, just like sit for a second, and you get back up. But I looked down at my foot, and the bottom of my foot was staring at me. Oh! <laughs> and I thought, but I was in disbelief. I was like, "No, that's just my," because I couldn't feel it. I was like, "No, it's just Whoa. my shoe." And my friend came up, and he was like. He looked at it and I was like, I was like, is it all right? And he's like, he's like, you don't want to know. And I was oh, like, oh man. man. And I go, well, I was like, is it broken? He's like, yeah. And I was like, okay. And I was like, since my foot was staring at me, I was like, is the bone sticking out of the skin? He goes, yeah. Oh. And I was like, all right, no, it's terrible. I can't believe you didn't feel it. I couldn't feel it. No, it was like, I was just laying on the ground. And then when I realized what had happened, I was just like, oh my God, what am I going to do? And the first thing that crossed my mind, I was, like I said, I was 19 and I had just graduated high school and I didn't have insurance because I, to get insurance through, like I didn't have my parents' insurance anymore. And I guess through my dad's company, he worked for the airlines. And if I was in college, then they would like, you know, then I would have some insurance for like two years or something, but I didn't enroll in college. So the first thing I thought was like, holy shit, I got to enroll in college right now. And so I called my parents and left a message literally like as, you know, 10 minutes after it happened, I was like, I'm on the ground. I broke my leg, the bone's sticking out of the skin an ambulance is coming. I need to enroll in college. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then they thought I was, they thought I was messing with them until the next call was like, you know, I was in the hospital and, um, and it was a real thing. So, and then I started going to call, you know, then I did go to college for a year or two here at OCC and, Wow. During you really kept your legs. composure, though. You had, had some lucid thinking for having your, having your foot <laughs> twisted around. I mean, it was crazy. Yeah, it was crazy. And then, you know, after they shot me up with a bunch of morphine when they put me in the ambulance. And next thing I know, I, like, woke up and, you know, the surgery was done and things. And 
and I was in the hospital. It was crazy. I was in the hospital for a week because it was because um, it was so bad. The bone had just shattered, um, and the other it was a uh, tibia fibula, and so one of them had shattered. The ankle had broken off, and then one of the other bones came out of the skin. And so um, they just had to put a bunch of screws in there, which eventually just like blocked all the blood from circulating down there. So it didn't heal. Basically, after a year, they told me I could walk on it because the screws would hold it and that would stimulate bone growth. But it didn't. It rebroke it. And then I told the doctor and he said, no, that's impossible. But he took an x-ray and he's like, well, yeah, it's rebroken. So they cut me back open, put a plate in there. And then he told me, that that would hold it for good. And I didn't believe him, but it did. That's gnarly. That's, and that's quite, a, uh, quite an entry into music. <laughs> I know, I know, really. Were you, were you writing songs before this? You said you, you sort of tinkered with guitar, played somewhat before, but were you already writing songs? No, I wasn't writing songs. I, um, I had an electric guitar uh, that would like fret out, you know, like around the 10th fret or so. And then, um, and I would just learn the beginning. I would like learn the first 10 seconds to like any song that I liked. You know, the classic stuff from the 90s, like right. Smashing Pumpkins and Nirvana and stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. So the songwriting really happens after you the skateboarding accident. Yeah. And did did lyrics come naturally to you? Well, the thing was, is that I, I, I wanted to play guitar and, and do these songs. And then I realized, well, if you, if you play guitar and you want to have a song, you got to sing. So then I just yeah. was like, well, I guess I got to sing. I guess I got to sing about some stuff. And I guess it was, I wasn't, I wasn't really aware of any techniques or anything, but it was sort of a stream of conscious thing where I would just start scatting out words or something. And then they would turn, you know, phonetically, they would turn into a phrase or something. And then if, when I liked that, then I would, uh, then I'd roll with that. And sometimes they weren't, you know, originally they weren't, you know, fully formed stories or they didn't, they weren't fully formed ideas. And that's when I sat with Tom, he was like, Oh, he's like, I like this song. He goes, you need to just elaborate on more. I don't know what you're trying to say. You may understand what you're trying to say, but the listener doesn't understand what you're trying to say. So he'd say, go in that room or go home and sit with that and then like come back to me. And so then I would do that. So how, how was that connection made? Did you already know him? No, I didn't know him. There was a, there's a clothing company called Ruka, which is RVCA. And at the time, when I had first met those folks, I was working for a, just kind of helping out with this shoe company that was starting out. And um, I would like deliver shoes to, to different like stores or different skateboarders and things. And then one of the, like somehow the guy who ran the company knew the people at Ruka. So we went in there one day and they were like, oh, you know, Matt plays music. And so... He's like, give him your CD. And I was like, no, 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 no. He's like, give it to him. So I gave it to him and then um, they liked it. And so they were like, oh, Matt plays music. And I, every time I'd see him, they'd ask what I was up to. And eventually Tom came in one day because his wife, or his girlfriend at the time, his wife, now they've been married for a long time, was working there. And then the owner, Pat, was like, you know, you should meet Tom. He plays music. And I didn't know, you know, he played music in a world famous band i just he had a beard at the time and he's kind of the quiet one in no doubt so he was like oh, yeah, i play music he's like maybe we could do something sometime and a week later you know he called me up and i even saw him on the super bowl like during that week and i told my parents i was like oh there's that guy that i met that's pretty crazy <laughs> so wait what city are you guys in yeah that was in i was living in huntington beach and then uh 
that company was in Costa Mesa. Yeah, okay. And then Tom lived in Long Beach. And so I would, um, when we started recording, I would drive up, I would drive up there once or twice, once a week or once or twice a week or so. Okay. So Tom basically discovers you. He's someone who's established in the music biz. But what's the next move, his next move, as far as helping you to get your career moving? I think it was, you know, for him and I, it was mostly just, it was a good outlet to just create. You know, I think we weren't, at the time, I didn't, you know, I was just thinking, wow, I'm recording songs and they're sounding nicer than ever before. And he had all this equipment that I had. You know, I didn't know what a compressor was. I didn't know what a preamp was. I had no idea what any of that stuff was. And so we were recording and and writing. And then during that time, too, um, I'd already done some shows locally and around L.A. and stuff. But it was mostly just getting, just kind of doing it. At that time, I would just, any place I could play live, I would go do it. So I would go to just any open mic or like poetry readings. And then if a friend had a gig, I would jump on there. You know, he'd be like, Matt, you just got to play as much as possible. And so as we were recording those songs, I was doing that. And we made an EP first that came out. And it was just a self-titled EP. And so once I had that, we made, I don't know, like 1,000 or 5,000 of them. And then that helped me get more gigs. And then I just started giving giving those out. And originally, I wasn't selling them. I just felt it was more, you know, I was just excited to give it yeah. out. And I felt yeah. like it'd be more productive just to hand them out rather than try to make five bucks off each of them or something. Right. So so I guess he played sort of a, a producer role in the studio and maybe sort of like a, a mentor as far as getting out and gigging and, and what you should do. Yeah, all of that. I mean, yeah. it's along the, along the way, you know, it was, um, it was, he was a, pro, you know, producer, produced all those, uh, first ep and the first two records yeah and he had a lot of experience in the um in the studio and also to getting like you know booking agent and um you know publicists and stuff like that i remember there was just different people he'd be like oh such and such can help you and and you know i'd go you know we'd go to a party or something and i'd sit in front of these people and play songs and like matt you got to play in front of them so i'd play in front of them <laughs> reluctantly and then uh you know little by little that stuff um you know started doing you know started doing more there was one tour that he went on that was like a no doubt tour uh, they put out like a they put out a cover talk talk cover it's my life and they toured a greatest hits around that and he invited me to go on that tour with him and like play on this like opening stage when you walked into the all the festivals yeah so like i'd play that but there was no one there when I would come in. There'd be like 10 or 5 people or something. Right. So yeah. then I just took my CD case and I just started walking around the amphitheaters and just basically panhandling around the amphitheaters and slaying in my CDs that way. Yeah, okay. This is great. So some, some guerrilla tactics here. A little bit, yeah. All right. Let's fast forward a little bit. How does the Jack Johnson connection come about? Because you, you toured together and then you had the, the label. Yeah. Yeah, how'd that connection come about? Well, Jack had, he had just heard my music. Actually, it was Emmett Malloy runs Brushfire Records with him. It's actually Jack's manager, but he's an incredible filmmaker. They had heard my music and, um, and they wanted to use it in one, of their, uh, in one of their films. And so they had asked if I had any more music. So we were in the process of, finishing up my first record and I, and I gave him an early copy of that. And so they had asked to release it. 
and I was I had originally just wanted to put it out independently because Tom and I were talking about just doing it ourselves. So I I didn't sign initially uh, they to the label with them, but they had asked me to go on tour. So I went on tour with Jack, and at the time I knew I knew who Ben Harper was, and I like Ben Harper's music, and I knew that when Jack had first come out, his first single had Ben Harper on it. And so I was like, oh, I'll go, you know, it'd be cool to go play shows with, with Jack. I like his music. And um, I didn't know. I thought it'd be like House of Blues or something like that. I mean, that, those were pretty massive at the time. But we, you know, we got on this tour and we were playing for like ten or 15,000 people a night. Yeah. And this time I was on the main stage, you know, and it, simultaneously throughout all that, you know, I'd played around L.A., you know, gigging. You know, at, at at clubs, you know, Troubadour or all of them, really, like the Viper Room or Whiskey or the uh, Mint, and then up and down the coast to places in San Francisco, like Cafe du Nord, and then dive bars up in Oregon and stuff like that. And so when it came time to do this, when I realized the places we were playing, I was really, I was really nervous because I wasn't, <laughs> I had never played anything that big before. Yeah. Well, that is interesting. So it sounds like a big part of that original connection was was having a song for a movie. Yeah. And it seems like you've had a lot of success since then getting getting songs placed in movies or other mediums. Has has this made an impact or or been especially helpful in your career? Yeah, it is. I mean, I think I've always I've always viewed music in that way more visually, I think than even before like any anything else rhythmically or you know, it, before that, I would just like when it strikes an image in my mind, then um, then I start rolling with it. And so, as far as getting stuff in um, in films and things, it did remind me because it was a surf film, and um, it reminded me of when I was young. A lot of the music I got turned on to was through skateboarding videos, right. bringing it yeah. back to that. And so, like you know, so, like I, the reason I started loving, um, you know, any bands really it was like it wasn't on the radio. Uh, you know, I went through like the alternative radio phase where, like I said, Nirvana and Smashing Pumpkins and stuff. But then by the time I started getting into videos more, there was all sorts of stuff on there. There was like underground hip hop. There was punk rock bands. There was stuff from the 60s and 70s I'd never heard of. There was everything. So, you know, the reason why I think I really liked um, a lot of music and saw the correlation between what a song could do to an image was because of skateboarding. I never even paid attention to it in films before. I mean, it was those, you just kind of feel a mood. But I remember making my first skate videos and taking a song and like putting it into skateboarding and being like, wow, this changes it. And so I felt like um, that that had a lot to do with it. Yeah, so that I, I assume that does carry forward when you're when you're thinking about videos. And do you, do you often get video ideas in advance when you're writing your songs? And are you actively involved in the process of of creating your videos yeah more so on the in the last like i guess in the last 10 years i've had more of a hand in you know how the visuals come to play and especially in the last six or eight months with covid happening that's right. all i've been doing here is making music videos for a new record that i have out which just i have a little green screen studio and doing some stop frame stuff that um out of context you know, it takes on a whole new life. So, and like la the last record I put out, um, it was kind of a funny story. I'd always imagined for this song, Sharon, and the record I put out, Santa Rosa Fings, I had imagined this like 
I don't know, this strange bar with like lots of aquariums in it. And so I Googled like aquarium bars online because uh-huh. I have a lyric that talks that mentions the aquarium bar. And so originally I was like, I drove up the coast, I went to Morro Bay and I saw like the aquarium there and I thought, okay, maybe I can like make this look like it's some sort of strange bar from the facade and then go inside. And I didn't know how I was going to make this strange bar. I like searched random dive bars and nothing. But when I Google searched this, um, you know, aquarium bar, this mermaid bar came up that was in Great Falls, Montana. Nice. And it's like this, it's like an old hotel from the 60s. And then in this like tiki bar, they have this big glass window that you would see at like, you know, a, a marine aquarium or something. And these mermaids swim in there. And I thought, oh my God, this is genius. I got to go there and just like be a lounge singer, sing my video in, in this crazy bar. So I called them up. I called them up and they were like, well, you know, it was like the woman who owned it was on the phone. I said, do you ever rent your space out? She's like, well, you know, weekdays, we don't do it. The restaurant's open. But Sundays after the Sunday brunch, we have a time slot open so you could come use it. And the mermaids are $25 an hour with, um, they need a month notice in advance. <laughs> and so I almost was like, I'm going to go there anyway. We'll figure it out. I'll jump in the pool. Like the next day I talked to my friend Pamela. I was like, we got to go. So we almost booked a flight the next day, but we waited a month. You know, I wrote a treatment for it and uh, painted a gold suit. You know, the mermaid actually who was in the video had been a fan of my music before she knew who I was. Oh, that's nice. And so it all kind of was synchronistic the way it worked out. And uh, it was pretty fun. Turns out she also worked on, works on Bob Dylan's ranch up in, um, in Montana. She asked me like, you know, in a quiet time we had when we weren't filming, she goes, are you familiar with Robert Zimmerman? And I was like, the Robert Zimmerman? she's like yeah and i was like yeah i mean i know bob dylan's music she's like oh i work on his ranch I was like, that's pretty cool oh wow and yeah that's a really cool video so it's great hearing that backstory so you toured with all kinds of bands around the world is there a tour that is most memorable to you a tour that's most memorable well i would say there, there's a couple for different reasons i would say that um as far as touring with musicians that I've always liked a couple, I guess at this point it was, I don't know how many years ago it was, but I did a tour opening up for Modest Mouse. I was a big fan of, of their music. And so going out with them and touring around the country, it was, um, that was pretty great. And Johnny Marr was in the band at the time too. So it was like, you say Johnny Marr. Yeah. I didn't know that. How did I miss that one? Yeah. He was in the band. So it was like a double whammy. They got like the Smiths and Modest Mouse, um, in one world. So, I was, uh, you know, I was on the road with them and that was, that was pretty incredible seeing them play every night and getting up on, uh, you know, get up on stage and, you know, play some shakers or something. So, yeah. Oh, how fun. Okay. Was, was Johnny Marr in the, in the band for a while or was it just a, a short stint? It was a short stint. Okay. Um, I, it was, um, it was around 2000 nine or something. I think that he was in the band. Okay. Yeah. I was busy having kids in that era. Yeah. And so I remember having uh, guitar conversations with him and he's, yeah, he's incredible. He was actually like, you know, they're all great people, but he was actually one of the most outgoing guys in the, uh, you know, in the group at the time. It's very sweet. All right. We've kind of brushed on this, but who are your main influences? Do you have a list? I mean, as far as literature goes, I like John Steinbeck and it was, that kind of ties back to Tom. Dumont, when I had first started recording with him, he was like, Matt, you got it. 
he's like, you should read this book. And it was um, Tortilla Flat. And so um, I ended up really liking that book. And, and especially too, the more I started to read him, it was like every time I'd drive up and down the coast of California, it was like I, I had a new insight into a world that I would just drive by normally. And it yeah. gave me a little bit of history and poetry to the landscape. So I think that played a lot into, you know, you asked me about lyrically and things like that. I think that played a lot early on and still does into to influences. As far as um, guitar stuff goes, I really like Richard Thompson for his like, because his electric and acoustic guitar playing, the way he shifts between the two. And he's probably one of my, he's one of my favorite guitar players. And as far as songwriters go, I really like um, I really like Harry Nilsson because I like the way that you know he's like he can be really satirical and playful and very serious at the same time too. So that's great. Yeah, I like the uh, breadth of the influences there. That's great. Mm-hmm. I actually just bought East of Eden. I tend to only read nonfiction, but I thought I'm going to get a novel. So have you read that one? I have. Yeah. Okay. Do you have a favorite? In case I want to keep going in this direction, well, yeah, I do. If you like, uh, if you like nonfiction, my two favorite works of his are uh, "The Log from the Sea of Cortez" and "Travels with Charlie," which are both nonfiction. One is about he drives around the U.S. because he feels he feels like he doesn't know his country anymore, so he goes around and basically catalogs um, what his experience is driving around the U.S. with his with his poodle, a large poodle named oh, that's Charlie. Great. And then the log from the Sea of Cortez, he goes down with one of his best friends and muse, Ed Ricketts, who's a marine biologist, and they go down um, around Baja and uh, go into the Sea of Cortez and catalog um, some marine studies and then get into some more existential sort of things around that. Oh, thank you. Thank you for those. Yeah. All right. When is the new album coming out? It's coming out in September. It comes out on September 11th. Anything stand out as far as differentiating it, this album from previous, whether it's the process or your mindset or mood or anything? Yeah. Well, I never expected to make this many records. When I made my first record, Songs We Sing, I thought, oh my God, I did it. I made a record. Before yeah. that, I was even just excited to write a song. So to have a number of records under, you know, in my catalog is pretty, I feel pretty fortunate to have that. But for this one, you know, it's it's interesting when life uh, when life challenges you. Um, that's when you know. I guess you start to you know it changes your perspective. So I had a big life shift in this last uh, two years, and it really changed my pers- it changed my outlook on life. And so um, I felt like there was a lot more personal, spiritual, um, more more on that level than on a sonic level is where I was coming from. I didn't really even want to, I didn't even really think about making a record. I, I was really just trying to write songs in a cathartic sense. And so, um, you know, over like a year and a half or, or a year or so of posting up in my, in my room here, um, my manager had asked me, he had said, you know, do you have any new songs? And I was like, nah, I don't know. And so he asked me to send him what I had. And he's like, I think you got enough for a record. I was like, oh man, I wasn't even planning to make a record. Really? Wow. And he's like, I think, it, I think it's good. And so, um, so I, yeah, so then I'm, you know, I turned it into a record. Some of uh, bits and pieces of it were recorded here at home. 
And then I went to a studio up in LA and a, and a producer, Alex Newport, his, um, he has a studio at his place up there. And his wife is very kind to allow their home to be turned into a studio. So um, yeah, it, it came about from writing from like a really, a different place. Like I, I wasn't even thinking of the end product. It was really just sort of a cathartic sense, which you would think like, you know, oh, that's like how, you know, where everyone should write from. And and in a sense, it, you know, that I feel like when I write songs normally, you know, and when I'm not challenged by things, then, you know, that comes about in a way, you know, like unconsciously. But I think this was a very conscious effort to just like get it out, but not do anything with it. Because I was like, I don't want to, I didn't, I didn't feel like, I didn't really feel like playing music or anything at the time, actually. But I guess I, I can't help it. You know? Yeah. So. Well, that's it. Yeah, I guess maybe there's there's something pure about that when you're not you're not even thinking about an album or putting it out, and it, it just comes out naturally. Yeah, it was like that. Yeah, I don't want to pry. But it was there a, a a particular event that put you in this space? Well, yeah. I mean, I well, yeah. I just uh, my wife and I had got a divorce over you know being together for ten years. Oh, okay. And so, uh, so it made me just really kind of start over again. Yeah. And, uh, and so then basically I had to rethink, uh, kind of who I was as a person and a lot of people, you know, you know, close friends or whoever, even, you know, fringe people were like, you know, you're going to have great stuff to write about and i was like i don't want to do that <laughs> like it's the last right. thing that i want to do in this moment I was like i don't actually i don't even care you know i question like you know who i was and so i didn't for you know i didn't i didn't write for a while in that sense and then um and then i i basically just sat down with like my with this nylon guitar and would just sit down and basically it was like a, you know a healing process as far as like mantras to myself in a way to like work through some to work through it and like basically is like not blaming anyone for anything you know not trying to blame someone else but like letting letting love heal itself as you know i don't know if that sounds trite or not but it really was like all i could do right was there a process for narrowing down your songs or did you just have just enough songs to make an album yes yeah i mean the good ones normally normally stand out but for the most part, I do try to think about, um, you know, conceptually, lyrically, like how, you know, once once everything's out, it's easier to look at it as like a look at it as a whole. And even right. still, you know, that it takes, you know, years go by and, you know, until you have real perspectives. Do you have a large phone bank of ideas? I do. Yeah, I do have a large phone bank of ideas. You know, the thing is, sometimes you get them, you know, you get them while you're driving. <laughs> you're just like all right am i really gonna do this right now so pull over or something and yeah and then voice memo it or like you know whatever get pulled over for texting like officer i wasn't texting i was writing down the lyrics <laughs> that were coming to me miraculously yeah you gotta grab it while you can there's been many times where i think i'll remember something and it's just gone it's true but i i've also gotten comfortable with letting that letting that stuff go too because a lot of times i'll be you know, we're even at home working on an idea or something and then I get a call and I have to go immediately out or something, you know, someone's like, you know, it's a dire need. So, you know, I jump up and I go take care of the business, come back to it five hours later. And all of a sudden, like it had time to, time to simmer and, 
and it's even better. Or I guess it just is what it is. I don't know if it's better. If I don't know what it would have become if right, I would have yeah. sat there and dwelled on it. But you know, learning to embrace that stuff is is important. You know, because there's you can be disciplined as you want in anything, but also in you got to let real life in too. All right, I'd like to try a a lightning round here. All right, cool. All right, if you could tour with any band, past or present, who would it be? Okay, past or present. Oh man, I would say uh, Philip Glass. Okay, ideal set length. That's a tough one. Maybe I think yeah, an hour an hour long is probably. Oh okay, that's probably good. All right. Do you enjoy supporting or headlining more? Well, I would say headlining's probably more fun, right? But support you might grab new fans. Yeah, I don't know. They're both they both have their own merit, you know. It's kind of nice to it's kind of nice to get up there and do your thing and then sit back and be able to watch the rest of the show. I like that. But if, you know, if, you know, headlining my own shows, I'm never going to contest to that. <laughs> right, right. Do you have a best gig ever? A best, yeah, I think it was actually I just did one song um, where I jumped on stage and opened up um, a set with Donovan Leach. I sang Sunshine Superman with him uh, for David Lynch Foundation. So I met David Lynch uh, backstage and uh, for his Transcendental Meditation group and uh, then jumped on stage and sang Sunshine Superman with Donovan. It was the shortest set I ever did. You know, I jumped for one song, Yeah, but I think that was pretty all-time. That's cool. Okay. Do you have a worst gig ever? Yeah, I was talking about it. Um, I was talking about it the other day. You know, you don't realize they're going to be they're going to be that bad when you uh, when you start it. You think they're going to be great. So I was doing a show in New York um, with Money Mark, and uh, my guitar had broken a string before, and I was using these alternate tunings. And I was like, I was about to go on stage. I was actually running late at this point because my strings were broken. Not Ernie Ball, I'm sure. Speaking speaking of which, no, it wasn't Ernie Ball. This is they weren't Ernie Ball. I had like uh they they weren't they weren't someone else's. Yeah. Yeah, it was some I won't name I won't yeah, say yeah. any names. And so he's like, Oh, use my guitar. He goes, But be careful, don't retune it because it, the intonation's terrible on it. It was like an old guitar from the fifties. And I was like, Well, I have to. And he's like he's like, All right. He goes, But you know, do it at, at your own caution. And it was like I had to really jack up the tuning. So I tuned it up, had it all set backstage went on stage and then all of a sudden it was just like couldn't keep a tune at all so i sat there oh. and basically just like you know fumbled through this set of like trying to tune it being out of tune and i just came off stage and i gave it to him i was like thanks man he's like how to go i was like you were right <laughs> right <laughs> uh favorite way to pass time on tour uh my favorite i like going to museums you know i go to like i like getting up early and going to a uh, going to whatever art museum is in the town there and um or an arboretum or something that's cool so do you have a favorite uh country or or city maybe for going to museums well i mean in the in the u.s um i really i always enjoy going to the chicago institute of art i know there's still so much to explore you know yeah um in amsterdam there's the uh the van gogh museum which is great so those are those are a few i can name offhand uh, hobbies or interests besides music? I really like, I mean, going to art museums and stuff. I like, I do like painting. And um, I uh, recently I've been getting into making miniatures, you know, like little miniature sets. I've been taking little pieces of cardboard and then making them into little, little motels and things. Really? And I also like to go to the beach. <laughs> okay. 
Hey, did I didn't ask earlier, did skateboarding go away forever after the injury? Uh, well, no, I mean, I was skateboarding, like, even when I had my crutches, you know, I'd crutch oh, okay. around and, like, do tricks with, like, one foot. But oh. the crazy thing was that when I got all healed up, you know, I thought, yeah, I'll be able to do this again. But I really couldn't even walk anymore. Like, the mobility in my ankle was none. You know, I had zero mobility. So to even step on it and take one step was was a big challenge. Oh, man. So uh, it took a while to get back to it. But, yeah, I, I cruise around here and there. I'll just... I don't skate any, um, when I did skate, it was mostly street. I didn't really skate transition that much. It was jumping down stairs and handrails or skating ledges at schools and stuff like that. So now I just skate flat ground and things out front of my house or wherever that may be. Try a kickflip or a heel flip or something. All right. Well, before I let you go, uh, what gauge strings are you playing? Well, on electric, I play 10 gauge, um, 10 gauge strings okay and then uh on my acoustic i play pretty heavy the low um the low e is their 56 gauge yeah so, so probably 13 to 56 it's like a 13 to 56 i like the the heavier strings and i use heavy picks too all right matt costa can't wait to hear the uh new album looking forward to that and thanks for your time and thanks for being on the podcast thank you yeah the new record's called yellow coat and I'm, I'm excited to put it out. Yeah, I'm excited to have it. And thanks for the support. Thank you all for tuning in to Striking a Chord, an Ernie Ball podcast. As I am speaking, Matt Costa's Yellow Coat is not yet out. But as you are listening, it is indeed out. So check that out. If you'd like to contact us, please email strikingacord at ernieball.com. sit in the sun over here all right cool